0: Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities with Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State, Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPInfo.org. It's the Capital Connection. Hi, I'm David Gustina. Joining us this week is Republican New York State Assembly Minority Leader William Will Barclay. Leader Barclay, always great when you join us. I really, really appreciate the loyalty, really, you've shown the program and coming all these years to talk to us from the Republican side of the aisle.
1: Well, David, I appreciate you having me on. I enjoy doing the show. So, again, uh, thanks for the invite.
0: Well, let's get right to it. Now, you are a Republican. I don't think there's any question about that. You're the Republican minority leader in the New York State Assembly. There was an article this week about your recent trip to China. It was in the Times Union. And it says state GOP officials took a trip backed by the Chinese Communist Party. Now, just for background here. From the Times Union, the organization that funded the trip, a Brooklyn-based community group called the American Chinese Commerce Association, has been described as closely linked to an arm of the Chinese Communist Party, known as the United Front Work Department. According to U.S. security agencies, United Front Work seeks to influence American individuals and institutions, especially state-level lawmakers, through various overtures and That includes sponsored trips to meet with Chinese officials. Now, a lot of public officials has taken trips to China and other countries that might not share our democratic system. And you replied to this, which was apparently approved through the Ethics Commission. And not only do I want to hear you respond to this, but also I want to know about your trip and what you learned on it.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, I think the trip was was totally appropriate. Uh, You know, it was... uh, we went over with three other members of mine. One was Lester Chang, who represents a large um, Asian-American Chinese population in his district. He's the one that helped put this trip together. We didn't know that, that the, the group that was sponsoring the trip was necessarily – I mean, would people suspect that they have some ties to the Chinese government, but, you know, there's no official understanding of that. We talked to the FBI. We talked to the State Department. And we also ran it past our Legislative Ethics Commission. So – You know, we tried to dot all our I's and cross our T's and make sure that everything was on the up and up. This was not a secret junket or something like that. We went over uh, to uh, when I was in the country 12 years ago, and I was curious about how things have changed in China since that time. We're there to meet officials and obviously we're there to advocate for New York State and advocate for the United States and where there's. Places where we can agree upon and work together, that was sort of the purpose of the trip, to find out where those things were. So I was a little surprised that this you know, made the Times Union, the article, and front page story, because I, I don't see it all that controversial. And you're right, state legislators, we take trips all the time. So there's nothing, you know, nothing nefarious about this trip.
0: But tell us, you know, you mentioned you were there 12 years ago. What has changed in your mind since then in China? And what specifically
1: did you learn on this trip? Yeah, interestingly, the one thing, the modernization of China, that's one thing that stuck out. I remember 12 years ago when I was there, it was a lot of construction, but a lot of, you know, I hate use a term, but a lot of rubble. You know, they had been tearing down things. The streets weren't as, as, as good repair as they are now. Uh, so I did, that was interesting. We were in um, uh, Beijing and uh, uh, a couple other cities, and, they really—they're pretty modern Western cities. You would almost—you wouldn't even know you're in a, you know, a Chinese city. So that was—that was interesting. We met with a lot of government officials. Uh, actually, they raised some very tough, poignant points. Uh, some of the members I was with were talking about how China hasn't rec- recognized Hamas as a terrorist group, and so that, you know, we, we held our foot to the fire. We asked about the fentanyl crisis and how we could, you know, work together to stop the flow of fentanyl coming into. Uh, the country, so you know we'll see where you know things go. Um, but I think it's important to have those relationships and have that communication. And you know sometimes something may come of it, something may not. But again, I, I feel like it was a legitimate trip, and I was pleased to go on it.
0: And I assume that when you're talking to them, obviously you're representing New York. So when you're talking about something like fentanyl, you might be talking about the ports of entry and the places in New York where we can see these drugs being pushed through.
1: That's right, Dave, and really what we want to make sure is because there was a little pushback when we asked them about that, saying they were saying, well, fentanyl is illegal in China, you know, and that kind of made me laugh. I said, I'm sure it's illegal. That doesn't mean it's not being imported from China into the United States. So uh, we wanted to make them at least be aware that it is a terrible problem in New York State. And they ought to take it seriously. And, um, you know, wherever they can do to prevent that from being imported into their country, they ought to be doing that.
0: Yeah, obviously, China is a communist country, but is there anything about the culture itself that you learn that we could learn from here in the United States?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, interesting in in New York, it's the fastest growing. ethnic population. Uh, So that's one of the reasons I think it was important to go. And that's right. Some of the cultural stuff is interesting. The food is tremendous, but the history, they have a country, it's the largest country in the world. So I just think we need to be in tune to what's going on in China. I think it's important for New Yorkers to know that. It's important for government officials to know that. And again, that was really the purpose of the trip.
0: I thank you for your candor. We're speaking with New York State Assembly Minority Leader Will Barclay, a Republican from the 120th District in New York. Well... The news really now is the legislative session that is upon us, and you had the state of the state from Governor Kathy Hochul delivered, followed up by the, the real news, which is the budget proposal and where her priorities are. Maybe a little bit on your general reaction to the $233 billion budget proposal by the governor, and I know, of course, that your group was blasting the school aid cuts as one part in the executive budget proposal.
1: Well, David, first of all, you may be surprised here. Some of your listeners might be surprised. I was pleased with a lot of the governor's speech because she was raising issues that I have as a Republican and our conference has uh, for many, many years. Issues like out-migration, issues like affordability, and she even talked about crime, which I was pleased about because, uh, unfortunately, many of the Dems in Albany have put their head in the sand and don't want to address that. Issue. So I was very pleased that she raised that both in her state and in her budget address. Uh, the issue, you know, the, where the rubber hits the road so they say uh, it's going to be how to solve these problems. And as I've told the governor in private and told, said it publicly, uh, if she's serious about tackling these problems, she's going to have, uh, you know, a number of legislators, particularly our conference, uh, willing to work with her. Uh, but uh, she's also got to recognize why we got into these problems in the first place, and that seems to be uh, a difficult message to get through to some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle.
0: What about the whole harmless provision that she wants to do, with?
1: Well, I think, you know, we have to look at it. Obviously, some schools' uh, districts are hurt worse than others. Uh, you know, a lot of the school districts have their, she did point out, and I think it's a valid point, uh, have reserves, and some are well over those reserves. I've always said we ought to fund schools appropriately so they can provide our children with uh, great educations. I think we've done that in the last few years. We've increased, I think, education aid over the last three years by six or $7 billion. So we've been pumping a lot of money into schools. I don't think it's always the most efficient way that we fund them. Low wealth school districts tend not to, you know, get the the amount they need and high wealth districts tend to get more than they need maybe. So there might need to be some sort of even out there, but ultimately we can't just, continue to spend and spend. And I think the governor's not incorrect saying, you know, we have to pull back. And it's not like we're not increasing spending, too. We're just slowing the growth of the increase in spending.
0: Yeah. You you mentioned the phrase funding it appropriately. Now, I think, and I've asked this question to many legislators and uh, others, isn't the part that's not funded appropriately is that we've got it tied to the property tax so that when you have a, a rundown area where there's not a lot of home value and there's not a lot of property taxes raised, you've got a lower funded school district. Shouldn't it come out of the general fund?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that is exactly the problem we face. And when schools get mandated, by the way, their program is mandated, a lot of uh, you know, the buildings mandated, stuff like that, uh, sure. they have nowhere to go. They can't go back to the property owners and low wealth areas. So uh, you're right. It needs to be funded by the state. And we do, by the way, the state, you know, we spend a lot of money on education. It's no doubt. I think on a per student basis, New York leads uh, the nation on spending per student, which is great. I think all legislators believe in, again, appropriately funding education, but some reform needs to take place in the system.
0: The other big area that has been talked about, not only in New York, but on the national scene, is migrants, the asylum seekers, folks that in many ways have been used as a sort of political football in the fights between the Democrats and the Republicans on the national level, the federal level, when it comes to immigration. And New York's been one of the harder hit states in terms of what to do with the influx. Now, the governor in her budget proposal has pulled money from the Rainy Day Fund to do this. I spoke with Tom DiNapoli, the controller, last week. He wasn't so keen that she did that. He understood that it was an emergency. He'd like to see emergency defined more clearly. But, you know, Republicans have hit Democrats pretty hard on this issue. What's your sense of what she's done there and using the Rainy Day Fund for migrants?
1: Well, certainly don't like the idea of using the Rainy Day Funds. I'm troubled by the idea that it's going to cost New York $2.4 billion, I think she proposed in her budget, and it'll yes. probably more by the end of the day there. This is not a sustainable system. I do blame uh, the National Democrats. I blame President Biden. For not securing the border and letting you know these people come in, I, I always like to point out sort of the hypocrisy in New York. I, you know whether we have to spend this money or not it is you know I guess it has to be addressed some way. but it wasn't the Dems in New York that said we're a sanctuary city, we're a sanctuary state. We'll welcome immigrants with migrants with open arms, but now all of a sudden they realize that it's not that easy, and when they have to put the money where the mouth is. Uh, there's some you know squawking. So I'm happy the governor said she's going to go to D.C. She's going to, you know, lobby the Biden administration to help pay for this. She's going to lobby them to help, you know, to further secure the border. So we stop this influx of migrants coming in. That's all great. But she's got to deliver on those claims. She is, after all, Democrat and the president's a Democrat. She ought to have a strong voice with him.
0: Yeah, and she's partnered with other states. They all wrote a letter saying, you know, you've got to take care of this. And this is a lot of states here. Obviously, this is a federal government situation. I'm guessing like many politicians I talk to in an election year such as this, we're not going to see a lot of movement.
1: Well, yeah, I don't know other than this could be, you know, if it's a, uh, you know, the Biden administration, the blame is appropriate to put right there. If it becomes a political issue for the president, uh, maybe he'll take action. So I, I don't know. At the very least, I mean, I strongly believe we ought to ha- – I'm, by the way, very pro-legal immigration. I'm not against immigration by any sense, but this is not legal immigration. And I don't know. I, I hope the, the president can come together. But at the very least, we ought to help fund uh, this problem. And it's easy for New York to say, you know, we should be more open to allowing migrants in when all the migrants were going to Texas and California and other border states, uh, it's a little harder now when we have to deal with them.
0: Yeah, and it may seem counterintuitive when you've got migration, but you also got a problem in New York State that the Republicans have put together, I believe, a committee or a commission to look at, which is out-migration. You have been supported on that a bit by the state controller. He says it is an issue in New York State. Out-migration, meaning people are moving away. There are different reasons, but it is in many ways tied to higher taxes and fees.
1: Well, without a doubt, David, I think it's, you know, the affordability in New York is chasing people out. We've lost a million over the last decade. I think we lost something like 100,000 people just last year. Uh, this is not a sustainable system. As you know, when you lose people, you lose tax base, you lose economic opportunity, uh, and it's it's creating real problems for the state. So I was pleased, finally, that the governor did recognize that we got to do something about migration. And, Of course, I'm happy to have a uh, task force or committee look into why that's happening. But I, you know, I don't think it's a big mystery. The cost of living in New York State's too much, and people are going uh, to other other areas where they, they have better opportunities and doesn't cost as much to live there.
0: And yet, there's another side to that, right? In that, New York provides a lot of services for people. We do better by our citizenry in many ways by the services we provide than many other states.
1: Well, I hope that's the case, but again, I think some of the spending that we do in New York can be done much more efficiently. You know, we got go back to school aid, and uh, we do have great schools. We've got great teachers uh, in New York, but do we need to be increasing school aid by, you know, 10% every year? Uh, maybe we can look at other states and see where they, uh, they've done it more efficiently, uh, be able to get the same outcomes
0: Well, it's interesting that you say that because, again, I keep referencing it, but it was just last week, my conversation with the state controller, where he talked at length about Medicaid and how he has sent proposal after proposal for how to create efficiencies in how Medicaid dollars are used, where we could get more out of the dollars that we do use. And, you know, as he said, they're just reports. I don't have any enforcement action. So we don't even see the recommendations from the state controller being implemented.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, Medicaid is a great example where we spend, again, on a per capita basis, I think, more than uh, California and Texas combined, so something's out of whack, you know. But then, again, you hear complaints from hospitals that the reimbursement rates aren't high enough. You hear from nursing homes they haven't gotten an increase in reimbursement rates. So, again, somewhere along the system, there's some efficiencies, and I, unfortunately, in New York, politics very often gets in the way of good policy, and there's various interest groups that have, you know, different interests in keeping this status quo it is or increased spending. Instead of really looking at it from the dispassionate view, of what's you know, best efficient way of spending money on Medicaid? So Medicaid is another great example, school aid Medicaid. I'm sure there's better ways that we could be spending those dollars.
0: Well, with the new year comes a higher minimum wage in New York, a little higher in New York City and the outlying suburbs than upstate. But nonetheless, workers are getting paid more. Obviously, one of the catches here is small businesses. Many will complain. It's it's hard to survive, and the more you pay workers, the harder it is to survive, but the other side of that is affordability, right? I mean, we talk right. about New York and affordability. We just talked about it when it comes to out-migration. But so many people in our society are working many hours of the day, but they don't make enough to actually afford to live.
1: Right. And that is concerning. And the problem is when government, in my viewpoint, when government starts mandating you know wages or you know requirements or business businesses adjust to that so they have to get the cost paid for some way so they either do it by raising costs or in a lot of cases particularly the minimum wage you've seen it with fast food is automation so people end up not having those jobs my concern is the minimum wage was never meant at least initially to be a living wage it was an entry wage mostly for younger people uh, that did it, you know, whether it's summer jobs or whatever, and now somehow the mantra that this is a living wage and government needs to dictate to businesses that, you know, they have to pay a certain amount. Ultimately, that's just going to lead to higher unemployment. It's going to lead to increased costs and again, this cycle of affordability. You have to get the money from somewhere. It doesn't just get created out of thin air. So, You know, I I feel like we should just lower the cost of business. Government ought to get out of a lot of this stuff where they're placing, you know, serious mandates on businesses. Let them grow. Let them, they're the entrepreneurs. They're the people that know how to create wealth and opportunity. Uh, Let them do it instead of trying to put our finger on the scales and constantly telling them how they should run their businesses. And you see, I mean, you've seen it, as you know, David, I mean, upstate. You go through the downtowns of upstate, there's empty storefronts everywhere. And it's really a tragedy, and minimum wage is part of that. There's a lot of other reasons for that. But, um, you know, state government isn't the person that should be telling businesses how to run their businesses.
0: It really seems like much of the northeast in these towns upstate you're quite right that once a lot of manufacturing went away mm-hmm. you know you're left with service jobs right so you, you lost a lot of that old style manufacturing upstate and once that was gone it's really hard to revive an area because you don't have the same kinds of jobs available anymore that pay more right. money
1: yeah it's a real tragedy and that was one reason I initially got into politics as i think i've said on this show before i uh, two were, at the time, very young sons. One was just born, the other one was two. And having been eight generations of my family, I was concerned that they wouldn't want to stay in New York and be the ninth generation of my family from being from Pulaski. So, you know, that's one of the things I'm working on. I've had some success, I think, over my career in politics, but there's certainly a lot more that needs to be done.
0: We're speaking with Will Barclay, New York State Assembly Minority Leader. Well, you mentioned AI, job replacement. I just saw a video, literally saw a video of a Tesla robot, a humanoid robot, learning how to fold shirts in a factory setting. And it's so close to the way a human hand grabs a shirt. I mean, it is getting frightening almost to see this in action. But, you know, how much are you in the legislature, are Republicans, for example, talking about what's coming? And we're going to have even more problems with people's jobs being replaced by automation and robots, robotics.
1: Right. It is scary, but at the same time, I think innovation is great. Maybe that will create, you know, efficiencies and things in the system that will help people maybe focus on things that robots can't do. But, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, it is amazing. I don't really have a good – my arms around AI. I don't know if you've used it. I've You know, it's screwed around a little bit. Very little. Bit, little. Yeah, same with me. But it is seems like an amazing, you know, uh, technology out there that can – you know, it, it can teach itself, correct? I mean, that's the, that's the amazing thing. But i got to admit, I don't have a real strong understanding because I haven't been exposed to it all that much. But I think anything with technology, you know, the good news is we have uh, Micron coming I mean, to central New York. That's hopefully will create thousands and thousands of jobs and spinoffs. Uh, so, you know, some of the stuff I think we got to embrace. even though it's, it can be a bit scary when you don't quite have a grasp on what the future is going to hold going forward.
0: Well, isn't part of the future, too, now with the way the climate has changed, wetter, more severe storms, it's even affecting migration, if you think about it, with hotter places in the world. People are going to be trying to migrate toward the better climates, and the Northeast so far has done fairly well, but things are changing, and doesn't that bring an opportunity? In other words, the kind of retrofits to homes and other things, yeah. the technologies, that's jobs, too, isn't it?
1: maybe but you know i again get suspicious when people talk about this green economy and green jobs because ultimately those are highly subsidized jobs and ends up costing the government more the government has to get that money from somewhere so they either tax the individuals they tax businesses so for instance you know we talk a lot about the clcpa the climate leadership Fund. Action Act, and you know they're talking about lowering our emissions but you know New York only emits something like 0.5% of all the global emissions, uh, greenhouse gases. And so when you talk about, okay, what's the end game here to get it down to zero? Um, you know, that's a great thing, but is it worth spending billions and billions and billions? When I say billions, 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 I mean that quite literally. Uh, you know, what's the cost-benefit of that? And I think those questions really have to be looked at. And you saw, you know, there, there's a lot of fanfare about the offshore wind and how this was going to be great, but then they, the, the developers of that have come back already numerous times thinking, you know, we need more subsidies. We can't afford to do this. So I think the technology is a ways to go, and, uh, you know, I, everybody wants a good and clean environment, but to say that, That's going to drive our economy, I I think, right now, is a highly suspect claim. But
0: despite what other states do and what other areas of the world do, Will, let me be devil's advocate for a minute. We're talking about the place where we live. And storms, heavy floods, we've seen them in the state, damages people's property. That's money. That's money lost. That's future revenue loss. That's a business destroyed. Don't we have to, because it's where we live, address it and address it fully, no matter what anybody that, else does?
1: Is that actually addressing it, though? I mean, again, if we're trying to lower our emissions from 0.5% of the world's emissions to 0.1% of the world's emissions, is that going to have an impact on global warming world, you know, worldwide? And I, I would submit no. And then, okay, well, it's not going to really have much of an impact. It's not going to prevent you know, these catastrophic events that you're referring to, then why would we spend billions and billions of doing
0: it? Well, uh, Wait, wait, let's move from the emissions to the infrastructure. Because that's really what I'm talking about. Right. We need to get our roads in better shape. We need to have it so the Amtrak can make it from Albany to New York City without the land collapsing onto the tracks because so much more rain is falling and waterlogging everything. We need the building in New York City where the bricks were falling down to be fixed up. And that's that's hard hats. That's construction. That's building levees and walls and making roads stronger and better. That I would think both Democrats and Republicans can wrap their arms around.
1: So I agree completely with that, Dave. I think we've let infrastructure in this state go uh, without, you know, improvement for too long a time. And I think we could do bipartisan support. I would just be a little wary of just, you know, claiming that this is all caused by climate change. Very well, some very well maybe, But some of this uh, regular maintenance that we haven't caught up, you know, kept up with in the state. And we need to do more of that. So, you know, our conference has been pretty vocal about uh, funding for infrastructure. You know, we're a big uh, consolidated highway improvement money. Uh, every year we do a rally down here. But more should be done and can be done. You're right. We should be working on bipartisan mayor to get, you know, more funding to make sure that our infrastructure is kept up.
0: I do uh, recall a former governor, now disgraced governor, said, I don't care what you call it, global warming, climate change, the weather's changing and we need to fix the infrastructure to deal with it.
1: Well, again, whether it's climate change or anything else, uh, we do need to invest in our infrastructure. So I'm in agreement there.
0: Well, well, what is an issue that you would like to specifically for the governor to deal with in this legislative session, if you could wave your magic wand and say, Governor Hochul, take care of this, what is the thing you would wish for?
1: Well, so one thing that we haven't really talked about today, and I've been on your show many times and we always talk about it, is crime. Uh, even though the governor did point out that some crime, mostly you know, violent crime, has dropped, it's dropped over record highs. In fact, crime is still up from 2019, 33%. And a lot of the crime that you know, she's talking about, which I, I agree with, needs to be addressed, is the shoplifting, the smash-and-grab, repeat offenders of that, you know, those criminals. So, one, I was happy she addressed it, but now she's going to have to spend some political capital because uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, in the Assembly and the Senate, have shown no want to, one, go back and look at some of the changes we've made to the criminal justice laws. And to, you know, maybe make further uh, increased penalties or whatever needs to be done to stop recidivists from going back on the street and repeating these crimes. So number one thing the government has to do, in my mind, is keep their citizens safe and be able to provide safe streets. And uh, unfortunately, we've failed, I think, over the last few years, and we need to really address that. So that's what I would say should be continue to be. And uh, I'd be a partner with uh, the governor to, you know, that's what I'd like to see solved. And there's proposals out there that could solve these problems.
0: Well, we've talked about crime on yet another program, Will Barclay, and that's going to have to do it. We are out of time. Our guest has been New York State Republican Assembly Minority Leader William Will Barclay. Will, I can't tell you, I know I say it every time, but it is important that we hear from everyone and your participation in the program is much needed. And I know we'll get to talk again soon. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: I hope so. Thank you.
0: The Capital Connection is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. You can listen to The Capital Connection anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. And join us again next week at this same time for another political conversation. For The Capital Connection, I'm David Gostina.